You're listening to The Brand Compass, conversations to navigate your way to building a brand fit for purpose and poised for success. Here's your host, Shelley Rosland. Hello there, my friend, and welcome to the place where we delve into all the ways in which your brand meets the humans you serve. I'm Shelley. I'm your host on this conversational journey. And if you are new to me, yes, that is a South African accent you hear. And today I welcome a friend from Boston, just that you have a delight in accents today. I'm really lucky in the work that I do. I get to play in the professional sandbox, if you will, with some really interesting humans. And today I've asked one of them to join me in this conversation. If you've listened for a while, you'll know that I love a good metaphor and sometimes I mix them up way too much. My guest today is going to share her metaphor that she uses to help her clients understand how to manage some of the growing pains they experience in building their brands over time. She likens this to teenage growing pains. Boy, and do I know about those. I also have another reason for bringing her on, and that is to share how she helps her clients work out what their specialism or their unique focus is so that they can better market themselves for prospective clients. I'm a firm believer in that it helps to get different views on how to tackle this, and one day one of them will help you to unlock this for yourself. Let me introduce her to you now, and we can jump straight in. Evelyn Starr is an author, brand expert, and marketing consultant with over 25 years of marketing strategy and research experience. Evelyn uses her keen powers of observation and insight to help clients wow their customers and grow their businesses. She specializes in working with brands in adolescence. Brands that have stalled after their initial success. Evelyn's award-winning book, Teenage Waste Brand, How Your Brand Can Stop Struggling and Start Scaling, shares how she likens brand growing pains with that of teenagers navigating life. Her clients have ranged from small businesses like Laird Superfood and Harbour Sweets to global brands like Hasbro and Gillette. Evelyn lives with her husband, Dan, in the greater Boston area, and she has two grown-up children. Welcome, Evelyn. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Can't wait to get into this now. So before we get into your concept, though, Evelyn, of brands in adolescence and how you help brand owners to work out their specialism, let's give our listeners a little bit of a background to you and your journey. So can you share with me that point you had in your business where something shifted for you and you realized that, oh, gosh, I need to do something different. I need to change the way I'm marketing myself. Can you walk us through that? Was that about... 10 years into your business. I remember us talking about, I can't quite remember the timestamp on that. Yes, you have a good memory, Shelley. It was about 10 years into my business. Uh, So kudos for that. Kudos for that. For the first 10 years of my business, I was marketing myself along the lines of the three services I was offering, which were marketing research, marketing strategy, and copywriting. Just before the end of that period, about nine years in, my husband decided to go out on his own. He became a solo professional investment advisor. And so I helped him build his brand from scratch, which was really exciting and wonderful and a lot of work. So while I was working with him, I kind of let the rest of my client load, you know, get much lower. 
you know, I had some side projects, but not a lot. Once she was off and running around August 2009, I found myself back in my own business needing to fill my pipeline. And I was having trouble doing that. I was struggling to tell people why they should go with me over someone else. I also found that prospects were really looking at those services I mentioned from a commodity uh, commodity point of view. Right. Commoditized point of view. There it is. Um, And I didn't really want to talk to them about a cost per word or a cost per hour. I knew that I brought greater strategic value and I needed a way to express that and a niche to differentiate myself. But I really struggled to figure out what that was. And so I hired a marketing consultant, which might strike you as very strange to have a marketing consultant hire another marketing consultant. But I would say it's sort of the same reason that a pediatrician doesn't treat her own children, right? You're too close to it. You're too emotionally involved. You really can't see the big picture on yourself. And that marketing consultant worked with me a little bit of the way that Alison O'Leary was describing in one of your past oh, episodes, yeah. working with her clients. We, yeah, we talked about what my ideal client would look like and how I wanted to spend my day and where I wanted to be. And all those things were hopeful, but I was still struggling for a niche. And at one point in my frustration, I thought, I feel like I'm having an identity crisis. And once I got over the frustration and started to get curious about that, that was the beginning of the road to formulating my brand and adolescence theory and putting it into practice, which became my niche. Oh, which is super. So then that by kind of getting to that realization, therefore you then had your niche, therefore you could re-engineer all of your marketing so that actually you could speak a bit clearer and find those ideal clients. Is that is that where you go? Yeah. Yes. Ah, brilliant. Brilliant. So your, your background came from market research, right? So you, yes. you're quite predisposed to that kind of, right, let's go some, do some digging. Let's actually go and find some evidence of what's going elsewhere. So how do you approach that niching now with clients? Do you use that, those, that brand in adolescence kind of specialism? You know, so how do you actually help people with that background that you've got from Mark? Because that's a bit I like, I really enjoyed hearing when we first met was like, oh, okay, you're coming this from the the research angle and you use those kind of feedback elements. Can you talk us through a little bit like how you've maybe helped a client maybe using that market research? Yes, absolutely. So market research is crucial when you're thinking about determining what niche you have because not only do you need to think about it, but you need outside perspective from all of your constituencies, your customers, your employees, especially, but sometimes also partners, anybody who touches your brand. And so when I'm working with a client to determine their niche, I help them conduct some research and I do some on my own. And the idea is to understand how their customers and employees see their brand, see their strengths, the emotions they associate with it, the reasons they keep coming back, all of those kinds of things help inform the business owner about which niche would be most appropriate to, to dive into. Uh, and then I also use my research background to dive into the client's competition um, to understand their messages and positioning in the industry. Because when you want to choose a niche, you want something that's unique to you that you can own. You don't want to duplicate what already exists. Uh, so it's probably easier if I give you a specific example. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Last year, this time, I was working with Mary Rose Lyons of Bright Spark Consulting in Ireland. 
at that point, Mary Rose had been in business for 19 years and she had been offering digital marketing services. Um, and specifically at that point, she was really kind of burnt out from helping retail businesses get through the pandemic. Um, and so when she came to me and asked me to help her define her niche, she was looking to not only determine where to take her business next, but also whether or not she should invest in some training that was interesting to her. And so I had her ask her clients and colleagues and coworkers, you know, what were the things that first came to mind when they thought of her and her business? And I analyzed all of that research. And then I also analyzed her online recommendations, um, her online reviews and her LinkedIn recommendations. I looked at her competition and their niches. And then again, like Alison O'Leary does, uh, I spent time talking to her about how she wanted to spend her time, where she wanted to be, who she wanted to spend it with. Mary Rose has a fondness for being on the cutting edge of digital technology. And as a result of our work together, she declared digital transformation as her niche. So that differentiates her from the general digital marketing specialists out there. Also, as a result of our work, she went and got a user experience certification from the UX Design Institute, and she studied up on chat GPT and artificial intelligence. And now she's teaching workshops in chat GPT and artificial intelligence, collaborating on websites and doing much more user experience work. And her business is thriving. So that was a really exciting outcome. Gosh, and she must be, yeah, well, I'm hoping that she's very happy now, <laughs> having found that kind of joyful space to lean into, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it makes such a difference in the way you feel when you get up in the morning and you want to go to work. Your niche really needs to feel, needs to be a space that you love and that you want to keep going in. Yeah, and I think I think this is the topic that we all kind of struggle with this niche. But what what I like in just for everybody listening, you have to read Evelyn's book, and I will put the note the link in the show notes. But in your book, you do this little bit about where you actually help people to work out that niche doesn't have to be because we just think old school. It has to be a specific type of audience, or it has to be a specific type of you know service or product. But what's nice in your book is you kind of give people a little bit more width or breadth in which to seek out their niche as well. Do you just want to just top level, maybe give me other than target audience and maybe the service, do you want to give maybe say two other things that people could look at to specialize on niche or narrow their focus in? One of my favorite types of niche is an attitudinal niche. Okay. So, nice. um, Two companies in the U.S. come to mind. One of them I mentioned in my book called Life is Good. Their purpose and their niche is to spread optimism. And uh, so everything about their, their clothing, everything they sell has an upbeat message. And, and everything they do is related to that. But I also just wrote a newsletter about a brand called Crocs. I don't know if you know mm. Crocs. Yeah, um, we've got them here. Right? You've got to there. Yeah, I hear that in your voice. You know, not every fashionista is uh, real thrilled about them, but they, their, their clogs especially are incredibly comfortable. That most people don't deny, whether or not they look good, a whole nother topic. But, you know, for a lot of years, they were operating without any sort of particular target. And they decided, um, because they were often bullied by people who hated their shoes, that they were going to own that. They were going to say, you know what? We are for people who are comfortable in their own shoes. We are dedicated to comfort. And that has not only 
attracted a whole lot of admirers. It's built a community around that brand that has helped them continue to sell well beyond the pandemic when everybody was rushing for comfort shoes. Mm, And I think that also when you almost align that, I don't like the word niche because it does feel like it's got bad connotations to it, but it is that narrowed focus or that specialist kind of area where you want to go deep in. And you almost kind of link that with either your brand's purpose or your own personal purpose. Like everything feels like it kind of goes, everything's in, you know, in line and aligned and ready to go forward. And it must make people very happy when they find that alignment. Well, it, it, they, it does because then you can focus and you can really put your resources in a concentrated area where it makes a difference instead of feeling like you're spreading yourself really thin. And then one other example, you had asked me for two. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll yeah, just two, say, two, give me another one, yeah. Right, uh, so just quickly, I mean, uh, geography can also be a niche. You know, you can be, okay. uh, and that works particularly well for retailers who are not chains. You know, we they get very involved in the community. They contribute to the community. They get to pe- know people in the community. And those relationships, you know, being the, I don't know, you know, I live in Natick, Massachusetts. Natick's home ice cream shop where you can only find in Natick, you know, those, and they hire all the local kids and that kind of thing. That becomes a niche. Nice. Yes, I like that. I think it's just nice that you can broaden it because I think it can get stuck if there's something that, you know, just like within an audience gets really tricky. But as soon as you kind of find what that is, you can go deep and you can really like lean into it and the things that you can do can even broaden as a result of that narrowing don't know if you found that as well so i think the bits that i'd like to talk about is cuz i found really interesting as this brand in adolescence i got really excited when i was reading these eight symptoms that you put together oh she's so smart she's so clever this is so true <laughs> so this has become your specialism your niche of how you actually work with your clients maybe we could talk a little bit about that and i know i've only i've said to you like let's try and see if we can just focus on one but i'd love to focus on all eight maybe you can say what the eight are and then mm-hmm. The one that you think most people, you know, feel or experience the most. We can maybe dig into that one. Okay. I'm just going to back up for two seconds and give people an idea of what I'm talking about when I talk about brand adolescence, because I think that context might be helpful. And so what I found through all of my research and looking at over 160 brands was that Where you start with your brand when you're the owner, when you found it, and it could be around a product, could be around a service, a solution, you you go out into the world with a certain message about what your brand is about. And over time, as you serve your customers, you adapt to their needs, you develop new perspectives, you advance things. And so over time, where your brand ends up is not necessarily where you started. And the wider that gap is, the more you're likely to find yourself thrown into adolescence. That's what causes the adolescence, the difference between where you started and where you are now if you haven't evolved your brand to reflect that. And so the eight symptoms of adolescence I've discovered are having an identity crisis, running with the wrong crowd, acting self-centered, suffering from FOMO, which is fear of missing out, needing to make new friends, defending your varsity team spot. And the varsity team spot in the U.S. is a coveted athletic team spot in high school. Right, so there are a few of okay, those. Got it. Um, oversleeping and asserting independence. Those are the eight symptoms. So which one do you think, which one do you want to deal with? I know which one you pick in the book to start with, but... <laughs> 
Well, the most common one, I figured that would be most helpful to your audience. The most common one is the identity crisis that that I went through. And so the kind of signs you might see if you're having an identity crisis are you're wondering why your customers are choosing your brand, but you actually don't know. Or you have a hard time telling prospects, like I did, what differentiates you from your competition. Um, also, if you're struggling with your marketing message or you feel like you're always starting from scratch every time you go to do some marketing, that's a sign that you might be having an identity crisis. Using inconsistent marketing messages or second-guessing your marketing message decisions also can be indicative of an identity crisis. And lastly, when you're thinking about launching a new product or a service and you're really agonizing over that, it's not clear to you, that can also be a sign that there's a lack of brand identity defined. And when I say brand identity, I'm not talking about a logo. I'm talking about the reason the brand exists, what it is doing in the world and how it wants to be perceived. In your experience, when brands experience an identity crisis, do you find, I mean, there's a bit of that in the beginning, isn't there? When you first start a business, if you didn't start out, you know, out the gate, knowing exactly what you want to do. But sometimes you do experience that in the beginning and it kind of settles down. But at which points, because I think in the book you talk about it where brands get to a plateau. And I think I've, I have experienced that a couple of times in my kind of brand journey as well. So I quite like the fact that I've got something to hang my hat on. I'm having an identity crisis. Where, where do you see that happening most in terms of the, the business journey? It's not a specific time. It's not like everybody gets to the three-year okay. mark and boom, you have an identity crisis. And I would say actually for technology brands, it happens a lot faster because the technology world moves so fast. You know, I like in technology marketing years like dog years, you know, that kind of yes. thing. But um I think where what happens in the uh, where you get to an identity crisis is if you have not specked out a particular purpose, either from the beginning or early on, that is the reason your brand exists. And it's not product dependent or service dependent. It has to be broader than that. Mm-hmm. Then eventually that catches up with you. So, for example, you talk to some of the inventors of or, or the purveyors of fax machines, right? You know, if you were leaning hard into fax machines and your purpose was to put fax machines in the, in the world, you're probably doing something else or out of business right now. So that's why I say it has to be broader than that. So, for example, my business purpose is I help business owners make confident marketing decisions. That's that's the whole reason I get up in the morning and come to work. And it's not dependent on any particular technical service I offer it's just uh, sort of the umbrella for everything I do. There is an element of that vision and purpose um, that does need to be articulate. I think a lot of people find it hard when they're a solo or a micro to, and I know you also mentioned in the book, the Simon Sinek's why, which is formula, which is quite an easy one to kind of use in order to get yourself going. Would you say in your experience that it is a fairly tricky experience not an experiment, but an exercise, sometimes it might feel like an experiment, where you try to articulate that for yourself as a as an individual, if it's you, it's your personal brand, or you're a micro where you might have a couple of freelancers working with you and trying to articulate that vision so that you can get people behind it. But do you find it is a bit harder when you're smaller to, to actually do that exercise? It, it is hard to do it for yourself. That's what you're asking me, right? Um, yeah, I suppose know. it's that as well as size. So like, yes, doing it for myself feels really tricky. 
It is really tricky. And in fact, I went through the personal uh, sort of brand exercise for Simon Sinek. And uh, toward the end of that, they um, actually have you work with a friend um, or work with someone who's who doesn't know you super well, but knows you well enough so that they can reflect things back and make observations. So, you know, you almost always benefit in that situation from some external insight. And uh, I believe that if you use that, if you get help, you will have a richer outcome. And, you know, Richard, I'm not talking about monetary, but I'm talking about, you know, a greater perspective, you know. Yeah. Enriching, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there another symptom of the eighth that seems to follow on quite quickly from the brand identity? Or do you think that they're all kind of on their own merit? Or do you feel like sometimes people feel a little bit of more than one of the symptoms? Well, the the second most often that I see is the suffering from FOMO, which is fear of missing out. And that is exactly what we've been talking about. That's when a business fails to have a niche. And so what I mean by suffering from FOMO, and I think that some of your listeners will really relate to this, is you're trying to be all things to all people. You know, every time someone comes in with an inquiry, you want to serve them. You don't want to turn any business away because you Mm. fear either there won't be more business or you're putting money in your competitors' pockets or for some reason you feel like saying no is verboten. And in fact, when you focus and you go longer into a niche, you develop an expertise that differentiates you and helps you become known and actually attracts more clients of the kind that you really want to work with instead of trying to be all things to all people. Definitely. And I also love in the book, you kind of go a little bit deeper from that around, you know, what are the benefits of actually niching or finding that specialism? And some of it is like you've just said now, where actually you're increasing your chances of actually building a reputation quicker and becoming known for the go-to quicker if you actually try and identify that specialism or niche as early on as you can. Um, I think the benefits of niching people don't quite get other than the old road that you keep hearing all the time online, you know, oh yes, you'll keep finding your ideal clients, but it's not just about that. And the, the bits that I liked as well, I made a note to talk to you about is that you create this halo of competence around you. I love that. Explain that a little bit in terms of, you know, so for the listeners, one of the benefits that um, Evelyn mentions in her books is a book for um, niching and taking that considered time to do that is so that, you know, one of the things are you create this halo of competence around you. So explain that a little bit. Um, So what I mean by a halo of competence is that by going really deep into a specialism and becoming an expert in that and doing that well, you get a reputation for doing that well. And once you become known for doing something well, people say, huh, you know, I have something that's kind of like that, but not exactly, but I bet if they do that well, they could probably do this well as all, as also. And so that's what I mean by the halo. It, it doesn't, a niche doesn't lock you into doing only that, but it lets you become known for that. So that becomes the bulk of your work, but it's not the entirety of it. And what I'd love to talk to you, mention to your listeners, one of my favorite examples, because people are always afraid that if they choose a niche, they're cutting out so much income, is that uh, when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he knew he wanted to be an everything store, but he also knew that he had to become known for something and also to work out the kinks of all the process with something. 
And so for the first three plus years, he sold only books. And before he sold anything else, Amazon was selling 213 million US dollars of books. Okay, so you can go long and deep into a niche and not have it curtail your income the way that you think it's it's going to. Uh, Becoming an expert actually attracts more business. So the halo of competence, you almost, it's that radiating of the halo is what you're talking about, isn't it? It's not just like, oh, you're shining on a stage now. It's more like that halo actually extends that um, competence by association going, well, actually, if they're good in that thing, if I engage them to help this me with this other bit, they'll be just as competent. And that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Right, right. I mean, when Amazon decided that they would move into music and CDs, I'm sure people were like, were saying, oh, you know what? They get my books to me in a few days. I bet if I order a CD for them, they'll deliver that way too. And so it, it just sort of carried right over for them. Yeah. And then, and then he just went ballistic on <laughs> everything that he could sell. I mean, right. that's, yeah, it's a good, that's a great example. And also just reminding people that it's not, you're not almost creating scarcity, you're actually creating abundance by trying to find that specialism or trying to find that niche. So I think that's that's kind of where you're going with that as well. And I think if we can think more like that, that means that, you know, we could not only find our niche, but then you might actually get closer to your purpose as well. Yeah, they're definitely intertwined. And I would say not only are you creating abundance, but you're also making your life a lot easier. Because you don't feel like you need to be an expert in everything. You don't feel like you have to be everywhere. You know, that kind of focus of, okay, I'm targeting a very specific audience so I can just be where they are and have to worry about all those social media where they're not. And I can just read up and continue to get educated on this particular topic. And I don't feel like I have to know everything about everything. It's really freeing. And time-saving. I mean, it's just... It's huge time saving, yes. isn't it? Because actually, you know exactly what to say no to now. You know exactly instead of rabbit holing and, like you say, into so many other different areas, you can keep your rabbit holing down to <laughs> the couple of areas that you know that are going to help you. I think, oh, yeah, my, my brain is going into all kinds of spaces now. I love this. Oh, I think that's really great. I think we could really like talk more and more and more about all of these. I think we could do an episode on each symptom, shouldn't we? <laughs> But I guess, um, but that's a bit of a tip of the iceberg for this conversation. But I'd love to get some feedback from our listeners. So I'm hoping anybody who's listening at the moment, you know, what do you think about this kind of link between, you know, the specialism and actually trying to link that to your purpose a bit more as well. And also just taking that time out to work out, you know, and also if you have a look at Evelyn's book, she actually goes through some of all these different areas of that you could um, shine your lens of specialism from, um, which is, which is really, really helpful. So, but anyway, we've got to bring this episode to a close though. Evelyn, is there anything else you think you want our listeners to hear before I do close off? Because I feel like we could talk about more, but is there anything around the subject we've said now that's kind of shot a light bulb off for you that you feel like you still want to share? The only thing I would share is that most brands go through an adolescence. And if you find yourself stuck after several years, you have lots of company and you shouldn't worry that it's just you doing something wrong. (laughs) I, I always I felt such great relief when I found that there were so many business owners going through the same thing. It helped me focus less on where did I go wrong and more on, okay, how do we get out of this? 
Oh, that's lovely advice. <laughs> I really like that. Brilliant, brilliant. So um, if, if anybody wanted to find out about you, your book, your work, where's the best place for them to do that? My website is estarassociates.com. That's E star with two R's like Ringo, associates, all one word, dot com. They can find my newsletter there, blog posts. Um, my book is on Amazon in the UK um, and actually around the world. Uh, it's called Teenage Waste Brand. How Your Brand Can Stop Struggling and Start Scaling. And uh, right now, I think they have a Kindle special on it. So um, they've been Ooh. running that quite frequently. So I'm excited about that. Um, oh, and so those are the two best places. Also, um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I enjoy a lot of conversation and time there. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your own journey, your superb brands in adolescence specialism and tips for listeners in how to tackle identifying their own specialism or niche. I can highly recommend your book. I will put a link in the show notes and you are just incredibly wise and have an extraordinary breadth of knowledge in your arena. And your book is genuinely straight talking, useful advice, and I can see a lot of thought and research has gone into it. And I'm so pleased to have your genius in my business lifeboat. Thank you so much, Evelyn. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Did that help you to see that actually some of the aches that you might be feeling with your brand may just be an indicator that something needs to shift or change? Which one of the eight symptoms do you think you may be experiencing? I love that Evelyn has shared how she helps clients to do some fundamental research into themselves, their services, and their audiences to really nail down which direction to go in in order to narrow down their area of focus or niche. Who do you know who could benefit from hearing this conversation and Evelyn's insights? Share this episode. Go on, you know you want to. Until next time, stay strong, believe you have value, and make good brand decisions. Thank you for listening to The Brand Compass. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your entrepreneurial friends and help them make good brand decisions. Until next time, let's keep the conversation going at shellyrosland.com.